Slarty Bartfast! I knew what a tardigrade was. Yeah, of course, we all knew that. I definitely knew that. Don't ask me any questions. Doesn't matter, there were any dragons outside. We've got to start die straights up here. <laughs> it was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard, leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and underneath my mean, callous, heartless exterior, I just want to be loved. I'm Danny Smith, coming live from the Evil Dome Boozerama. I'm John Hickman, and I can't remember if it's lemurs that sweep majestically across plains or if that's wildebeests. Oh, good one. <laughs> Zing. Uh, last week, we paid tribute to Ford Prefect, so do check out btlpodcast.com for all of our previous episodes. But for now, let's begin with an obscure character from a hitchhiker's offshoot. <laughs> Fortilian Banterburno Perfluous is the barbot of the starship Titanic, played by Dermot Crowley from Luther, among other things. In the game, he mixes your character a bizarre cocktail that ends up helping to fix the ship. Danny, you've tended bar, as the kids say, in a few places. Have you been asked to make anything out of the ordinary? Uh, yeah, quite a few times, actually. Uh, can I just uh, applaud the uh, pronunciation of Fortilian Banterburn Perfluous? That was, thanks, thanks. That was uh, you got that first time. I mean, as far as the edit, as far as the edit will show, I definitely got it first time, <laughs> as I do every single time. Um, I I have made weird cocktails, um, but cocktails are boring now. They're they're commonplace. Every other passe, yeah. Every other place is re- re- rebranding itself as either a craft beer bar or a um, cocktail bar. So what I wanted to talk about was working-class cocktails. Oh, so are you going to go in with uh, Brandy and Baby Sham here then? Uh, I wasn't, no. That is the one that I hadn't, but I'm happy for suggestions. Go on. So um, so I'm talking about things like the Mickey Mouse. Oh, nice. Well, it's not, but... <laughs> which we all know is a disgusting mixture of half bitter, half lager. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've 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 worked some of the same sorts of bars as you, so yeah, I've I've poured a lot of Mickey Mouse in my time. The only one of these I know is um is a snake bite, which is okay. Uh, you're in the right like wheel, wheelhouse. Lager and cider. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the regional variation, of course, down uh, down south, um, near Bristol, is uh, the Diesel, which is uh, snake bite and black. Oh wow! Yeah, they call it diesel. They call it like diesel. It's a big manly, yeah, like it's a big manly drink and not a. But it's got black currant. Yeah, not a drink with black currant. So is the is the cheeky vimto in this canon? I mm. would say maybe. I was thinking about this because what I would class working class cocktails is drinks that don't require any mixing or any other layout of cost other than the shot and mixer. Right. So, for example, you buy a pint of liquid. And that's normally the same price as a pint. Whereas if you buy a cocktail, you're buying like four or five shots of different different things. Right. So what I've got, and and shut up if you know what they are, brown and mild. Brown and mild. Yeah. So that's like a bottle of man's brown. It's like brown ale and like the mild bitter that they used to have. Wow. I'm not, I've not come across that. But then I've never worked a bar that had mild. That that was a very traditional, uh, very traditional one. That was it must that be was very Midlands first. as well. Yeah, when I was first started bartending when I was back when I was eighteen, so a very long time ago. Um, a poor man's black velvet. Oh yes, yes. Mark, do you want to have a go at this one? Because I know. Uh, it. No, I don't know any of these so far. I'm, uh, I'm showing my lack of misspent youth. 
Well, a, a poor man's black velvet, you need to come in it through knowing what a black velvet is first. So the, a black velvet would be champagne with Guinness. Yeah. And a poor man's is cider with Guinness. Yes. <laughs> and it's not as bad as Guinness. No. no well, I, I like, I like <laughs> Guinness. <laughs> and only only monsters drink it. Uh, the, my uh, my friend favoured Guinness and Black. Yeah, Guinness Guinness and Black is, is if you bought a pint on St. Patrick's Day and you have to drink it in front of an Irish person, you can slip some black into it real quick to make it palatable. That's pretty much the only way I could drink Guinness. Well, I really, I really like Guinness. In fact, I had I had a Guinness last night because I was in a pub that didn't sell good beer. Right. So I went, for, so I went for Guinness because, um, as you know, I am a craft beer wanker. So, but uh, my first legal pint that my brother bought me—we'd had many beers before that—was a uh, poor man's black velvet. Mm. Yeah, it's not actually that bad. Uh, there's oh, that was on my 18th birthday in the local. There's a few others. There's the incredibly offensive black and tan. Oh. Which is half Guinness and half a bitter or sometimes replaced with mild. Oh, wow. That's what English people drank in Ireland to be really offensive. It's it, That's not a pleasant name, is it? And now I've got two things. I've got a name without a drink and a drink without a name. <laughs> and I, I'm resistant to putting them together just because I'm left over. But maybe. So a bitter and barley wine. Yeah. It's called the Donald Duck, maybe? Oh, I've never heard it with a name, but I've poured it. Yeah. I mean, that's incredibly strong. Apparently, barley wine is the next big thing with craft beer wankers. John? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so broadly speaking, you're correct. Yeah. So, there, 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 are, there, are, there are beers brewed at that sort of strength and, and uh, drunk in those sorts of volumes, um, which are... are Broadly speaking, our barley wines, yeah. I am kind of waiting for the um, the craft beer wankers to actually get hold of these old traditional um, beer cocktails and actually turn them into something fancy and highfalutin that you pay 30 times the price for. Do you think they would come with new highfalutin names or would they trade on, maybe not the ones with racial connotations, but would they trade on this sort of working class ethos of, of the name? In the same way that that middle class people who pull forty grand a year like to wear cloth caps, uh, would we find that people who who earn forty grand a year will now start drinking poor man's uh, black velvet that's like been branded really really nicely and has like a fancy moustache on the can? Um, I've got an example of this actually, which we which which is that, and this was. This was a, a, good, a good ten years ago, um, <clears throat> but um, there is there is a, a drink. As Danny said, you know you have, you have drinks with, without a name, and you have names without a drink. Um, there there is a there is a drink that has that has a name that nobody uses, which is um, a Bacardi and Coke that has a name. Oh, okay. But you'd be being deliberately pretentious to use it. Sure. Okay. Go on. It's a Cuba Libra. Yes, it is. Oh, of course it that, is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's a Cuba Libra. Um, and and uh, yeah, I suppose you could say same with a vodka and orange. Yeah, screwdriver. Yes, of course. S- screwdriver. Because I was, I was really uh, struggling for the spirit ones. I'd love to hear any more. If any listeners have any more of like traditional old school cocktails, none of this fancy stuff. Um, especially what is a Donald Duck and what is a bitter and barley wine called? Are they the same thing? I don't know. Tweet us at BTL Podcast. And now... It's getting hot in here. 
Frastra is where they say life begins at 40,000 degrees. This planet has firestorms and an equable temperature is between 40,000 and 40,004 degrees. John, what kind of life forms would you suspect might live on Frastra? Bearing in mind that the tardigrade, or my beloved water bear, can only hack it up to temperatures of 148.9 degrees Celsius. A tardigrade's called water bears? Mm-hmm. So, I, I've, this is one of those things where I've been going through life thinking that um, two very different things are very different things. Um, I, I thought I thought that was water monkeys. I thought they were the same thing. As in, as in the little... The little algae that you get in a packet. Yeah. Oh, yes, I know what you mean. Oh, the sea monkeys, yeah. Because sea monkeys, yeah. So now, because for a second there, I was really excited that maybe sea monkeys, you could just, like, put them in the oven with your chips and they'd come <laughs> out fine. <laughs> no, tardigrade is the best animal in the world that's ever existed uh, and has a song about it by Cosmo Sheldrake and is also, uh, yeah, a synonym is water bear. Oh. Right. So I, 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 know, I knew what a tardigrade yeah, was. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course we all knew that. I definitely knew that. Don't ask me any questions. So it's like, you know, I always drink a Cuba Libra, not a Bacardi. <laughs> <in my> coat, so. <laughs> yes, water bear is the, is the Bacardi and Coke uh, to, the, to the tardigrade that is the Cuba Libre. Um, but I only mention them as they are famously hardy animals that can survive in vacuums and they go dormant. Yes. But they would not be able to, to, um, to, to manage life at 40,000 degrees. So what might? How do we know? Mm. How do we know, though, Mark? So, um, good question. Uh, uh, right. How would I find out an animal that could live at 40,000 degrees without being able to go to Frastra? Um, and how do we know? That's a very precise measurement, 148.9 degrees Celsius. It really is. Somebody it? has actually taken beakers full of tardigrades and gone 148. Yep. 148.1, still alive. 148.2. Positively happy. 148.3. Oh, looking a little bit singed. 150. Oh, no, they're all dead. 148.9 is just right. Um, they've done like a Goldilocks experiment on them. And I know a bit about uh, doing inappropriate experiments on creatures because for my God. biology A-level, for some reason, I don't quite, I can't remember what I was doing. All I can remember is the method. I had to go and gather a cellus, which is a water flea. Okay. From a variety of different ponds in a local ornamental garden. And I had to bring them back to my lab and I had to centrifuge them. (laughs) (gasps) Did you... A mild sociopath? Like they were, yeah, like they were, like I was auditioning them for the fucking Gemini program. (laughs) I put them through a centrifuge. (laughs) John is now a vegetarian. (laughs) Well, they all lived, Mark. So I'm, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm worried about the the scientific method that would lead us to find out which animals would be forty thousand degrees. Danny, you're probably less worried about it than I am. Right. You totally centrifuge a water flea, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd do it to a monkey if I could watch it. <laughs> he centrifuged his aunt if she looked at him the wrong way. Auntie Shell, yeah, fucker. I think what I'm saying is, I'd, I'd um, I'd, I'd like to see what a tardigrade could do in Frastra. Yeah, wouldn't we all? And now to the most totally evil place in the galaxy. Frogstar World B is quite staggeringly nasty and is where Zaphod is dragged to before being put in the total perspective vortex to which we'll come in a later episode. This planet gives us a bit of a continuity headache as our characters happen upon it in very different ways depending on whether you've read the book or listened to the second radio series. So I'm interested interested to know what kind of images are conjured up in your collective minds team uh, or panel when uh, reading about the frog star. 
I, I get confused if I'm honest, because um, it's been a while since I've read the books or seen the TV series. Is it a system? Right. I think this is something that sort of got, got changed around because in the in the radio series, it's just called The Frog Star and that's one place. Whereas in the book, you, there are three worlds. There's Frog Star World A, which is very nice and that's where people go. There's Frog Star World B, which is where Zaphod goes and where you know all of the action takes place. Uh, but Gargravar, who is the um, disembodied custodian of the Total Perspective Vortex, comes from Frog Star World C, which is also okay. Uh, and we never know anything more about Worlds A and C, but in the book, uh, Frog Star World B is where everything happens. And then I guess... So I guess they they are planets that orbit the frog star. I imagine it's the shoe planet, isn't it? It's the one. It's the one that's desolate. Yeah, and this is where the continuity problem runs in because it not in the not in the radio series. Oh right, that's Bront at all. Yes, but I thought they were just things that uh, places that had similar problems. No, no, is that head cannon? Uh, I think that might be headcanon. Uh, Brontetal uh, is is the place where the bird people come from. There's a big giant cup in the sky that the, their ship lands in because it's part of a massive statue that was erected um, in in uh, in honour of Arthur throwing a new traumatic drinks dispenser cup in the air in frustration <laughs> because the machine won't give it a cup of tea. And that image travelled through the sky to um, Brontetal where the bird people saw it took it as a sign and uprose against the um foot warriors who we we covered last week and built their whole civilization and vowed never to set foot on the on the earth again or or the ground again um but on frogstar that's yeah that wasn't a thing in the history in the radio series right so yeah continuity headaches okay i pr- i prefer the statue one of the things that's quite strange about the the frogstar is that it's described as being like a post-apocalyptic um, landscape that's that's ruined, yes. but obviously we also know that it's ruined by shoe shops. So it's not really post-apocalyptic cities; it's just post-apocalyptic shoe shops. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we'll be casting the next member of our hypothetical Netflix well cast. So now it's time to discuss who will be playing Slarty Bartfast. Any takers? I normally have loads of people that I want to put in the frame for this, but I've just got one. I've got, I've got, I've got more, but I just, I've got one that's just head and shoulders, and it is Morgan Freeman. <laughs> wow! Oh, yes. I hope the lifestyle thing comes together, Andy Dufresne. Exactly. No, that's good. My name is not important. <laughs> It is. My, the, my, he won't my, be able to say slightly bart fast though, because he'll say fast, and it won't work. That's my only criticism. Apart from well, that, he's, he's he's a trained actor. He, he's an experienced <laughs> man. He can say some words to, to a script if you if you need him to. So my my go to line actually is um, the uh, the scene at Lords where everything's going going crazy and uh, slightly Belfast just uh, turns uh, to Arthur and just says hello Earthman in the middle of things. It's how someone says that line. Can we digress for one second about this? But as a media studies theorist, aren't you worried about that perpetuating the magical Negro stereotype? No, no, I'm not. Because he is kind of the man that turns up and solves problems and plot holes just because he's other. But it's 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 because he does that thing so well, and it's because he's because he's Morgan Freeman. So, okay, so if I talk if I talk about my, my other three, my other three people were all people who had voices. I, I had I had three rich voices 
in my in, in my locker, and they were um, Yaman Berry, Yaman Baker, Yaman Freeman. Oh, Matt Berry's a good shout. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's too he he can he can go too big. I think you almost need yes, some but okay. What's good with Matt Berry is when he when he goes small mm. and keeping him when you when you keep Matt Berry locked down, he's fantastic, and everybody expects him to be big. Slotty Butterfuss needs some big, and then if you have Matt Berry and you just keep him in a cage for the whole thing, I think that's that's the beauty of casting him is to keep him small. Can you imagine him just throwing away like the lines, just just throwing them away. I just wanted to play with the fjords. Yeah. I want to put in an honourable mention just because I think it it bears mentioning that it was very much of a time because, and I think this is an actor who very much recognised when it was his time uh, and he knew that he was the fashion, uh, which is a remarkable thing for an actor to know at at any given time. Mm -hmm. Um, But Bill Nye was so well cast as Slarty Bartfast and it is partly because you put Bill Nye in things then yeah. in 2004, 2005. That's the thing that you did. But that said, it was, it was wonderful. And he has got that sort of downplayed, furtive, nervous oddness. Oh, totally. and that's, that's why I sort of disagreed with, with your assessment, Danny, about the, the magical Negro thing, because he's actually, when we, when we meet him at the beginning and you see this really well in TV series, oddly enough, He's he's not a man of science. He's not a man of great learning. He knows how to make the fiddly bits on fjords, and he really enjoys that. He's an artist. He's not um, he's not a technical guy, and he's so he doesn't have huge amounts of uh, knowledge about various things. He then joins this campaign, which you know is not necessarily a slarty fast move. The campaign for real time, but he still does it in his odd, quirky you know, Doctor Who way, because that's who the, the character was in the book, uh, you know, in, in the original story. Um, but he's, you know, he's not a guy who solves problems. He's kind of a guy in some regard who who creates them. In the film, I think the problem was he does solve the problem because they do that horrible ending where they said, oh, we can press a button and we'll just put everything back again. The dolphins will come back and the credits will roll. And it's Slarty Bartfast who who delivers that line. And I think we just have to ignore that as yeah, not really but being fair like to the when story. You, when, you, um, when you cast an older black gentleman, um, it kind of skews skews your reading of it like you, like any um, moviegoer conversant in the tropes will kind of their mind will kind of click to that rather than what you want it to sure okay yeah so i i think i was i was actively playing with that in in the casting and also also i very much had in 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 mind um the lego movie where morgan freeman is um is a very slarty bart fast type character and interestingly puts um puts in their place a number of other characters who kind of fit into the same mold in the form of uh, Gandalf um uh, who, <laughs> he's just like he doesn't know he doesn't, he, like, he doesn't know who Gandalf is he's like oh you're some wizard guy like what w- w- what are you for um so i yeah no i was i was actively playing with the persona of who Morgan Freeman is in people's minds in in that in that decision yeah no i, th- I would say it kind of works um I, I um I'm glad that Mark brought up Bill Nye because I didn't want to. Um <laughs> because I'm always the person who goes, actually, let's have a look at the person who they put in the film, because the film cast is 
the film cast was right absolutely there, there weren't that many wrong turns i think deschanel was was a sort of a forgettable cast but apart from that i think i think you're bang on um can i can i make another suggestion um he might be a little young but russell tovey ah okay can, can, can i can i talk about mine now well while that just, yeah please while, yeah. The, while that just okay yeah. just states like it's in reference yep. to this so i thought mm-hmm. bill nye was such a good uh slight bar fast that i don't think that an older gentleman would work mm, okay so how about as a bit and it changes from the book a little bit but how about as a bit of stunt casting we go really young but make him really alien because there's no we don't know how old Magrathians get and how they age. Yeah, there's no reason he has to be humanoid. So what about if we cast him like super, super young, but acts really, really old mm. to give it that other uncanny, otherworldly kind of, you know, like, you know, look really irritable, but not in a teenager kind of way, just in a grumpy old man kind of way. Yeah. And so you'd, you'd put Tovey into that, would you? No, to- Tovey would be too old for that. But you're like, are you thinking like, uh, you know, a sort of uh, an outnumbered kid? Yeah, something like that. Or maybe maybe Jaden Smith playing a bit younger than than he actually is, because he's, st- he's got that confused otherworldly kind of thing. Um, so yeah, like I only had this high concept stunt casting, and I had a wild card as well, uh, Jackie Chan. <laughs> okay. Uh, if only so I can be on set and hear him try and pronounce slightly Bart fast about twenty <laughs> million times with the gravitas that it needs. <laughs> Bill Bill, Bill Nye, um is 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 good. Russell Russell Tovey Russell Tovey is very very interesting. I really like Russell Tovey actually. The more I think about it, I think you know, be, being human solidified him for me. Mm. And we've, I think we we may have talked about that before. Um, it's a you know, it's a good place to start. And I, in fact, I think we talked about it uh, in reference to who might help write a new series. And and we had some some really good suggestions. Yeah. And um, we also had Lenora Critchlow in yes, um, yes, in for uh, uh, for, for, for Fenchurch. Yes, we did. Fenchurch. We did. So yeah, uh, I, I think he's. He he's he's a nerd. It, well, he plays nerd very well, mm. and you know, slightly Bart Fast is a nerdy sort of art guy, an art student with you know a, a, an interest in a passing interest in a couple of things. But like, he's not massively tech savvy, but he is kind of just a slightly nerdy guy. And um, he, yeah, I, I I think someone like Tovey could could pull that off really well. And so there's there's nice ties into the uh, through being human into into Doctor Who, which we always like like to come back to. Um, and so I, so that I might I might then just raise that little spectre of of uh, Tom Baker that I've raised earlier on, because it would be nice to put a Doctor in for the Doctor. Yes, yeah. that's a really lovely thought. And he has yeah. got the voice. He oh, has. God, does he have the voice? Oh, can you imagine him delivering the name? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, he'd chew it up, wouldn't he? Yeah. I think actually picking picking a doc even if it's not Tom Baker, picking a doctor for that role, I think is a is a lovely is a lovely idea. Um and there's there's a few there that would work and you want the more tweedy of the lot, I think. Mm. You could I mean Capaldi might be an interesting one to go for. Oh yeah. No that, that, He could you know, he could be quite he's got that acerbicness to him. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. 
and and with that I mean he can he can approximate an English accent and doesn't do too bad a job at it uh, but to roll those R's around Slarty Bartfast would be quite fun that would be a lot of fun yeah so I think we, we've got a nice little slate there and you finally done a voice I was I was I was hoping when I gave you Berry and I gave you Baker and I gave you Freeman you were going to do voices <laughs> I can't do yeah, I can't do Matt Berry very well because it ends up sounding like um, the voiceover guy, Peter Dixon, um, which Tom Baker has a similar kind of quality as well, um, you know, which is the, this is mm-hmm. Slarty Bartfast. You know, it kind of all... Oh, it's Peter Dixon, the X-Factor guy. Yeah. That's okay. him, yeah. So we'll put all those together and uh, we will open the voting. Uh, well, now, if you want to go to btlpodcast.com, look for the blog, you will find uh, the poll there and we would love to know who you think we should pick for Slarty Bartfast. And now, for some linguistics. A frood is a really amazingly together guy. Danny, who's the biggest frood you've ever met? Okay, now I have to say this. Um, We're all waiting with bated breath, mate. We are. <laughs> John Bounds uh, would be disappointed if I didn't say this. Um, I've known him for ages. He did the peer review trip with me, and I love him like a brother. Midge. Midge yes! yes! The coolest of fruits. The coolest of fruits. Peerreview.co.uk. Find out all about Midge. I think we should leave it there. All right. And now it's time to get sexy again. There is something almost unbearably sexy about having huge, fire-breathing, magical dragons flying low about the sky on moonlit nights. Why this should be so, the romance-besotted people of Briquinda in the Foth of Avalars could not have told you, and would not have stopped to discuss the matter once the effect was up and going. For no sooner would a flock of half a dozen silk-winged, leather-bodied, fulornish fire-dragons heave into sight across the evening horizon than half the people of Briquinda are scurrying off into the woods, with the other half there to spend a busy, breathless night together and emerge with the first rays of dawn, all smiling and happy and still claiming, rather endearingly, to be virgins, if rather flushed and sticky virgins. The Fulornish Fire Dragons have inspired a good deal of fan art, which uh, is in the show notes. So, John, does it capture your imagination like it does others? There is something about dragons, but whatever it is, is not very sexy. Um, and Douglas Adams is a, an unreliable narrator when it comes to things that are sexy because... <laughs> he likes Dire Straits. <laughs> and he thinks that Mark Knopfler's guitar uh, playing is sexy. I, you, I can't. I can't believe you did me like that, mate. I can't believe you took my joke. But that is, oh, that is right. Sorry. He goes. Oh. He goes from this chapter about this straight into a chapter about how sexy Die Straits is, and he actually says, "Doesn't matter. There were any dragons outside. We've got Die Straits up here." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, Douglas." Now, there's nothing very sexy about a man talking and not singing and just going you get your TV and Juliet I don't I don't find that particularly sexy no 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 it's 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 not and and even even if you allow him some license for being someone who was writing this in the 70s and 80s and a friend of Mark Knopfler or someone who knew him yeah it's still not sexy is it (laughs) no Um, I I remember um, this this stuff probably still still exists out there but I remember there used to be like a a range of um, 
too expensive to be bought, to be bought as um, as uh, just a, a mere trinket, but uh, too cheap to be a real ornament. There was a lot of kind of dragon sculptures that had um, bad synthetic crystals in them um, that, that 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 people could go and buy, and I would probably distrust people who were buying those things. I, I'm I'm not sure that those are very sexy either. It depends if you put them up your bum. We once viewed a house that was full of these sorts of things, and it could only be described as very, very, very weird. And I don't think any of the people there had have ever had any sex before either. Um, dragons are objectively non-sexy, and even Danny, I think, will probably admit that, even though he knows people who think they are dragons. I, I actually have conversed with a few people that think they are dragons, yeah. Uh, it's been referenced in an earlier episode, but... Yeah, no, uh, I, I don't know. There's something about scales that's quite sexy. There's something about wings and claws that are quite exciting. I, I mean, it's not... Are you talking about Dire Straits still, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> it's not beyond my sexual scope to look at a dragon and go, eh, maybe. Yeah, is it the flying? Is it the breathing fire? Is it the, yeah, is it the scales? It's it's definitely a scales thing. It's definitely mm. a, uh, yeah, a texture thing. It's like, weirdly, I could see where, where, um, where Adams was coming from, but I couldn't tell you why. I can, I can almost see how he sees a through line between dragons and sexy, but I can't follow it myself. Uh, just, there's something about the majesty of it maybe but I, I i couldn't tell you what it is because as soon as you start breaking down what are the const- uh, constituent parts of a dragon and the things that we know about dragons none of them scream sex so it's it's the fiery death and the and the, and the etu <laughs> maybe it's a time dependent thing i mean um 80s 90s people wore tops with dragons on like flying in the moonlight in the same way mm. that they wore, like three wolves howling in the moonlight, like uh, like unironically. But the, none of those people were sexy. I mean, we we need to be clear on that. Uh, and finally, the Doctor will see you now. Gag Halfrant is Zaphod and Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz's private brain care specialist, and the man who employed Jeltz to destroy the Earth. Uh, depending on which book you stopped reading at. Uh, he's played by Stephen Moore in the radio series and is the man who utters the immortal words Well, look, Zephod's just this guy, you know? Given that he did order the destruction of Earth, he is a baddie, but I find it impossible not to like him. Danny, am I wrong? Yes, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. He's the ultimate evil. He's one of the... He's one of the most successful baddies in fictional history. He never has to answer for his crimes. He, Very true. He decided to dr- destroy billions of people, life forms, sentient life forms that they know, but, uh, you know, maybe they don't think much of them, but they were still sentient because he thought that his um, his profession might be threatened. Yes. Not definitely threatened. <laughs> But he reckons that if people find out the the answer to the life, the universe, and anything, they won't need psychiatrists anymore. Which, of course, they will, if he thought about it for more than a, a, a second. Yeah, it'd be terrifying to actually know, wouldn't it? And he doesn't suffer any... He never gets caught. He never suffers any consequences. As far as I've read, I haven't read the Ian Kofer books but to my recollection, no, I don't. I don't think he gets any comeuppance in the in the Owen Colfer book either. He quite maliciously and vindictively not only destroys a planet but targets the two survivors 
for quite some time, but just <laughs> fucking scot free, just fucking walks off and, and it's like, I oh, think what? that is that is yeah, that's obviously the bit that that's stuck in your craw, and I think it's a valid complaint to have is the fact that he never yeah, like he he never gets to answer that because Adams had already sort of retconned it to say, well, actually, no, it was sort of the guide Mark II that had destroyed the Earth. And I can't remember why, but it was, a, it was a, I think, a slightly different supplemental reason to why I think Gag Halfron was uh, was manipulated by the Guide Mark II, if I remember rightly. And it's it's strange, but like, yeah, he he got so busy retconning the decision to destroy the Earth that he never found time to actually make Gag Halfron suffer for his crime. Maybe you'd like him because he looks like Trump's personal doctor. That's never occurred to me. I'll tell you the reason I like him, and it's all to do with Stephen Moore's performance. Um, Stephen Moore is the same person who played the whale and, um, more well-known, played Marvin in both the radio and the TV series. Um, But there's something in his performance which is so kind of... um, it's not warm and fuzzy, but there is there is such a friendliness to his to his tone and the way he delivers that that fantastic line and the conversation he has both with Zaphod and then later with Jeltz uh, about you know ah oh, we are all very uh, very adjusted in our mental attitudes today and it's just <laughs> like he's so kind of cheery and 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 lovely and. Yeah. That's just his bedside manner, Mark. Yes, you're absolutely right. He's just trying to make people feel at ease so that he can do his brain science on them. <laughs> if we were doing the hypothetical Netflix series, I would spend about a year trying to trying to um, cast Gag Halfront. Yeah, I think I we would, should talk about I that. really, really want that line as a VOD, he's just this guy you know. I I'd need that nailed. Anything, anything other than this fictional standard in my brain would would be like fucking death. So, yeah. so we start there and build the show out from that. <laughs> yeah, it, I think so. Literally, literally, if they don't deliver that line mm-hmm. and the um, my name's not important, and yeah. then when he finally gets it, uh, slightly butterfly. If they don't get those two lines correct, I would go shit can abs- the whole series. Absolutely insane, and and probably would never make the series. So don't involve me in casting. <laughs> no, I think you're right because the the moment we get it right is the moment we have a hit on our hands. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, we we should we should revisit Gag because he does crop up, and I think it would be really interesting to to cast him. I think I think we should think about um, Prostetnik Vogon Jeltz maybe next, but I think Gag Halfrent should come in at some point because I do like him as a character, and for me that that line it's such a it's such a nothing line. It's not a. It's not even. I mean, it's memorable just because of the fact that we've heard it. There's something weird about how how it sticks in the mind, and it's just Zaphod's just this guy, you know. What like how is that a catchphrase? It bloody works, but how? Do you know what it is? It's because they like as a narrator, Adams builds up Zaphod so much mm. that we we're, we're getting we're getting the guy that. That his brain care specialist. We're getting some some insight into, into what it is, <laughs> and we're waiting for it. And he just fucking throws it away. Uh, it's just this guy, you know. <laughs> you see, now I know you've heard the radio series because you know you know that accent as well. Uh, and that's all. That's all, Stephen Moore. And like that. That's what I say. Like the definitive version that you've got to base it on or use as a starting point is that that lovely just throw because he, he delivers it 
you know, once or twice in in the whole series, and that's why it sort of it becomes that little that little catchphrase you you wait for. And it is it's in that sort of weird sort of Scandi European Austro kind of, German, right? Austro yeah, there you go. That kind of lovely kind of yeah, the accent of analysts. Um, I've got the casting, but it's not going to be. Um... It's not going to be uh, Austrian. Okay. I've got the casting. I'm going to keep my powder dry in it, though, but I've, I've, I've nailed it. See, I, I've already now gone for Christoph Waltz. <laughs> oh, that's... Oh, God. Damn, oh. that's good. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay, well, I'll throw mine out now yeah. as well. I was going to go slightly different direction. I was going to go with Bill Murray. Oh, that's a lovely... Oh. Th- yeah. Yes, because he, yeah. can, he can throw a line away as he please. And, and scene has his, like... He's the driver for a lot of the series. He is he's the catalyst that that starts it all. It'd be nice if it was like a somebody good. Well, it's a perfect Bill Murray role because it's kind of like you know walk on, do two or three lines, steal the whole fucking thing. Yes, <laughs> he can do it remotely as well because most of his yeah. stuff, like no one ever yeah. talks to him directly. It's always through TV screens and stuff. So yeah, absolutely, he can do it from his bedroom and it'll be fine. Pop a green screen on your golden mate. Well, with that, uh, that's just about it. Uh, Danny, where can people find you online? Um, my Twitter is uh, probably drunk. That's uh, probably drunk, obviously. Um, and if you follow at peer review, then there might be some exciting news after Christmas. I'm not going to drop anymore. Mm. Exciting. What about you, John? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at John Hickman. I might say something at some point or you can follow um, you can listen to uh, thread.fm or runapod.com which is other shows I do splendid well that just about wraps it up for the leopard you can find the show at btlpodcast.com along with all of our contact details drop us an email to feedback at btlpodcast.com if you've got something nice to say and if you haven't keep it to your damn self and don't forget to subscribe to the show in your podcast app just search for beware of the leopard it's just this podcast you know (laughs) if you have a moment do please Please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps people find the show and we'd love you for it. We'll be back next Thursday. So until then, share and enjoy. to show yeah fucker <laughs> <laughs> she chased me around the house once with a prawn and i've never been able to eat seafood since <laughs> i'd stick that in a centrifuge mate if i That's saw a it true fucking story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. i'll be done here <laughs> i think we've explored this <laughs>